Thank you very much. It's really my pleasure to be here. This is, in a sense, it's, it's not, it's not, they cleared the title, or I probably wrote the title, I forget, but it's, it, I, I shouldn't have written exactly this one because, in fact, it should have been politics and politics, politics and policy uh, for the elderly in Japan, which is really what I'm going to talk about. Um, I wrote a book about that. I brought it. I think it cost about fifty dollars. The uh, but it came out a long time ago. This book came out in 1993, I think. And it came out in Japanese in 1995. It's or six. It's called How Policies Change: The Japanese Government and the Aging Society. Uh, and that was a book about uh, policy and the politics of policy change for programs related to old people in Japan: pensions, healthcare, social welfare, employment programs, lots of small programs trying to be as inclusive as I could. As I see, it took me 400 pages to do it. It covered the period from 1952 uh, to 1990. Uh, one of my findings was that the public actually hasn't been very much involved in all this. Uh, 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 and um, I'll talk about the role of the public in policymaking today, because things have changed at least uh, uh, a little bit. But uh, let me start with the obvious question, why is policy for the agent an important topic for Japan? Nobody here uh, needs to uh, uh, you know, be convinced of that point. Uh, you, you all know the answer to that question, but let me just show it dramatically, uh, just because I happened to cross these slides and they show it uh, pretty well. This is, the this is the age pyramid for the population of Japan in 1950. This is the year 2000. This is the year 2050. <laughs> Seeing it that way, I mean, we all knew it, but you see it that way and you can see uh, how, uh, how things are, are really changing uh, pretty rapidly. And my interest is in public policy, and when you think of these kinds of population changes and, and what they mean uh, for public policy, there are actually lots of answers to it, but the three main topics, I think, uh, how is, uh, first, how, how can all these old people be supported uh, economically, uh, which is an issue of pension policy? Uh, how can their illnesses, their rather frequent illnesses or, or infirmities compared to younger people, uh, be treated? Uh, that's a question of health care policy. And then, uh, uh, how can people who are, who a substantial proportion of older people as they get older can no longer completely take care of themselves, uh, so uh, how is it that they're able to be, how can they live a somewhat decent life? Uh, that's a question of long-term care policy, and those are going to be my three topics uh, today. And what I'm going to do is talk about policy and politics in each of these three areas, uh, and at least without too much oversimplification, I can say that the policy process here has gone through the same three stages for all three of those. The first of those stages is a period of expansion when public programs for older people uh, were established or grew uh, rapidly. And my argument, which a lot of people wouldn't go along with, but I'm pretty convinced of it, is that this has basically been the project of politicians. It's been the outcome of party politics. The second stage has been one of reform and rationalization. Uh, a little too simple to say just cutting back, but in any case, uh, constraining or convenient word rationalization, nobody knows exactly what it means. And that mostly has been in the hands of, uh, the, of bureaucrats in this particular policy area, obviously the, I call it here the Ministry of Health, Labor and Welfare. Through most of this period it was just the Ministry of Health and Welfare. Uh, the third stage, I just call here the currently more complicated uh, situation. Uh, because a lot has been going on in all three of these areas, but it's, it can't be characterized quite as simply as, as, as the way I put it uh, for the first two areas. But I'm going to get to all that, so I won't talk about it more. Uh, after, I, I, um, after I do that for each area, I'll talk a little bit about the decision-making patterns that we see in each of these three sectors. And then I'll say a word at the end, not very much. I hope there'll be some discussion about what the politics of old age policy in Japan looks like uh, more generally. Uh, 
Why do I say that the process now is more complicated? Well, partly it's just because it has been. What's been going on is, is kind of hard to understand, but there are reasons for it because the whole political system or overall social system of Japan, even aside from population change, uh, has changed uh, quite a good deal. Just uh, some of the highlights thereof uh, in this period, the left has disappeared in Japan. We used to have what was called a one and a half party system, but it was fairly simply understood as a left to right. Uh, these days, the ideological spread in Japanese politics, I call it from the right to the middle model, uh, uh, nothing on the left, and, uh, and you could sort of call it a two-and-a-half party system later, I thought, I don't know, three-and-a-half party system, two-and-three-quarter party system, but in any case, politics has certainly changed a good deal, and there is, in a sense, something like a two-party system, but not much of a left-right ideology. A second, in very recent years, we've seen a big emphasis on top-down policy making as compared to what we had before, uh, particularly Prime Minister Koizumi and the uh, CEFP is the Council of Economic and Fiscal Policy, that's its official name, always known as the Shimon Kaigi. Uh, the idea that public policy should be made up at the top in the Kante and under the auspices of the Prime Minister and then pushed down to the levels below. That's certainly, uh, whether you like it or not, it's a, a new trend in Japanese policy and it's been important. Um, there's certainly a general air of hostility to the bureaucracy, uh, particularly hostility toward the Ministry of Health and Welfare, with very good reason one must uh, confess as somebody who's been hanging around with those guys for the last 30 years, it's really kind of embarrassing uh, how badly things have been going, but it's a factor, is that uh, people used to think they were sort of uh, competent and now they don't, and it's a problem. And then maybe the most important point is the, the bursting of the bubble, or not so much the whole period since 1990, but rather the way the poor economy led to something that they at least purport to call a fiscal crisis and an austerity campaign to try and cut back on expenditures to achieve what uh, they call, and I won't go into what it is, the primary balance by the year uh, 2011, which requires, since they're not willing to raise taxes, requires a lot of cuts in government spending. So all of those have been important factors uh, in the way old age policy in these three areas has been working uh, through this period. Um, actually, the, the most specifically, uh, the biggest problem with regard to social policy is that in the year 2006, uh, two years ago, the government resolved uh, to trim, this was out of the Shimon Kaigi, to trim uh, what is called the Social Security Spending Natural Increase, Shakai Hoshohi no Shizenzo. The amount, it, ha it has to go up a certain amount just to take care of aging and, and the maturation of the pension system and so forth. And they, so they're not cutting the actual amount, but they said they'd cut about a billion dollars, about a trillion yen out of uh, that amount over a five-year period. And this has put very, very heavy pressure on the Ministry of, of Health and Wealth, health, health, Labor, Health, Wealth, I know, I've forgotten what we call it, health, Korosho, and the Korosho to, uh, to, to do something uh, with their uh, budgets. I think this is a really wrong-headed policy. This is my, I'm not giving you too many of my opinions in this talk, but this is one. Uh, it's inevitable that rapid aging brings a certain amount of, of cost increases uh, on that one hand, but on the other hand, Japan is woefully behind in all kinds of uh, social policies, social welfare, not for older people. Japan does pretty well with older people, by and large, but um, there was an NHK special about it just the other day uh, on how uh, way below other European countries, to some extent even the United States, in on family policy and uh, employment-related subjects and many other subjects. and. Uh, it seems to me in this day and age with the way Japanese society has been changing, the, uh, the, the much more needs to be done in this area. That's a whole different talk. I've actually given it, and if somebody wants to invite me, I'll give it again. I'm quite, uh, I feel passionate about that subject, but it's not my topic today. What I want to do now is look at our three policy areas one by one from the past to the present. First, I'm going to talk about pension policy. For pensions and for all the other policy areas I'm doing, I'm not describing the systems to you at all. I don't have time. It's really, it's complicated, it's necessary to know. You, it may be hard to follow what I'm saying if you don't understand something about it, but I just, I'm just really not able to go into. Obviously, I'll respond to any questions afterwards uh, uh, that you might have. But so this is a real canned 
real quick little 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 history. But what I'd like to start with is Kaininking, Kaihoken Kaininking was the LDP slogan in the late 1950s when they were facing a threat from the Socialist Party, particularly in the countryside, interestingly enough. And they answered by trying to spread the kind of programs, pensions and healthcare that had been available to urban modern sector workers through the whole country. Kaihoken means healthcare for all, pensions for all. On the pension side, uh, that led to the so-called national pension system, Kokuminenking. Um, it's a terrible system. I've often called it the worst pension system ever put in effect by any national government. Uh, it's just awful. It has an inadequate, at the time, everybody knew this in 1959. All the experts knew it. Ministry of Health and Welfare knew it. They opposed it at the time, but it was a political order and uh, they, they put it through as I say, an inadequate fiscal base and the only serious pension system that's based on voluntary contributions. In, it's not legally voluntary, you have to contribute, but in fact a third of the people that are supposed to be contributing to Koku and Nankian aren't and nothing happens to them. Well, you, you, you know, it's ridiculous. The whole, it's just awful. And, uh, uh, and, and indeed pensions went, so that system, it's still with us, sad to say, but uh, um, pensions also had a big expansion in the 1970s. Benefits went up a lot. They actually more than doubled. And uh, that also was largely a product of, of political pressure, although that's a little more complicated. That was followed by a period of rationalization of pensions. From the late 1970s, uh, basically the Ministry of Health and Welfare, strongly pushed on by the Ministry of Finance, but it was all up to the Ministry of Health and Welfare and they tried to raise the pensionable age. At that time it was 60. They tried to stabilize revenues uh, one way or another and they tried to limit future benefits. I mean, that's a logical meaning of, of, of rationalization. And they had a lot of trouble doing it because they were opposed by the Liberal Democrats who, who obviously didn't want to raise people's taxes. They didn't want to cut their benefits. Uh, uh, it's logical enough for a political party. But nonetheless, the Ministry of Health and Welfare succeeded uh, step by step, particularly in 1985, where with some really uh, clever uh, tactics, they managed to get a pretty substantial uh, reform through that did straighten out some of the real problems in the pension system, although certainly not forever. Uh, the biggest reform of the pension system occurred four years ago in, in 2004, uh, when the whole, both contributions, but particularly the benefit structure really was rationalized. It was a little bit like the Swedish pension reform, if anybody knows about that. It wasn't quite as radical, but it tried to tailor future benefits to the demographic and economic situation uh, uh, that evolves. And it's, 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 it's quite interesting, and it's a pretty good reform. American economists that have looked at it have thought pretty highly of it, Japanese economists don't like it, but they don't like any pension system, so, so that's to be expected. But uh, uh, more liberal economists think it, it made a fair amount of sense. The bureaucrats got this through, but it was a very turbulent time. Actually, one of the books I'm reviewing is a book of essays by economists, and one of the essays is by Henry Aaron. Henry Aaron is the dean of liberal economists, particularly public finance economists in the United States. Uh, and he wrote a very thoughtful and well-paced review uh, of um, the Japanese pension and healthcare, the whole system in this book. It's, it's a book by uh, Kaizuka and Kruger. It's a pretty good book. But, um, but Aaron said they, they got this through and it's a good reform, but it, it passed after, there was a lot of difficulty, there was a lot of resistance to it. And I said, gee, that's not the way I remember it. I was here in 2004 and I don't remember that much resistance to it. So I started looking back at newspaper articles and uh, uh, in preparation for this talk actually, and um, and what I found out, what I found was that actually this reform itself was not in its essence really opposed very seriously by anybody. But what was going on at the same time with two things. One was this enormous kerfuffle about, remember this about the politicians, diet men, not paying their pension contributions, a super technical issue. They were in transition from one employment status to another so they missed a year or so. There may have been more than that in some cases. Naoto Khan had to resign. Our current prime minister, Fukuda Yasuo, had to resign and, and all because of all this. And it caused a big stir and rose up all these things. These government people are just, you know, they're just totally hypocritical and they're not obeying the rules and, and so forth. So that was one issue. And then the other is 
that since 2000, the LDP and the, basically the Minshuto or, or Uzawa or whatever, but the opposition forces have been having this real important debate about pensions. It's quite a fundamental debate about, everybody knows the pension system needs restructuring, including taking care of the awful problems still with the Kokuminenki, but how to do it. And the two parties have a big uh, argument about that. Um, and that, in fact, the 2004 House of Councilors election happened at that time, as you may remember, it was a defeat for the LDP. And uh, that was called a pension election. But I remember thinking at the time, in what sense is this a pension election? I mean, people are voting against the LDP or the party in power for all this, you know, these politicians that are cheating or something, although Minchito politicians were involved as well. But, um, and they're worried about their future pensions as well they should be, but why would it, to figure out why anybody would vote for the LDP as opposed to the opposition, depending on their pension position, is, can't be true because nobody could understand it. I actually understood it for a while. I've since forgotten, but, but, but I've been working on, I've been doing pensions for about 20 years, and, and you can see it's a perfectly reasonable argument between the two parties, but it's not one that's immediately accessible to a voter unless things are really spelled out, and in this case, they weren't. Now, what's happened since then with pensions? Well, as you all know a lot, actually, pundits and polls are saying, again, pensions are the number one issue for Japanese voters. But once again, we have to ask, what is the issue uh, that is at stake here? The biggest issue has been all these lost pension records. Well, the lost pension records are just terrible. It is just, it's shameful that this could have happened. It could have been covered up for so long. I can't condemn it enough. Uh, both the Ministry of Health and Welfare was in charge of this, or Health and Labor. The, uh, it was actually in the Social Insurance Agency, which is part of them, but isn't part of them. That's part of the problem, I suppose. But in any case, it shouldn't have happened. But it's not a policy issue. Who can disagree about it? I mean, it was awful, shouldn't have happened. It has to be corrected somehow. There's only one way to, not much argument about how to correct it. You just have to go through and, and do the best you can. So in that sense, it's not an issue. The serious issue, again, is how to reorganize the system, but we're still in the same argument and people still don't understand it. The most fundamental sort of question is, do people want to pay lower contributions and have lower benefits, or do they want to pay higher contributions and have better benefits when they retire, right? Fundamental to all pension systems. In Germany, in the United States, you can generally find out, you know what the party positions are. The Republicans want lower contributions, the Democrats want bigger benefits, and uh, you know, higher contributions one way or another. The, some Republicans want to get rid of the whole, whole system. But, you can sort of tell what these arguments are, but the question in Japan is no so, so clear cut. And I have never yet found a poll, maybe somebody here knows of one, where anybody ever asked that question of the Japanese public. They ask it in a vague way, but not in a way that, you know, where there's a scenario where you could actually understand it. So pensions today are, I would say, uh, pretty confusing. Um, the, the pattern of decision-making in pensions, uh, looking as a political scientist for a minute, is that certainly public worries a lot about pensions, and with good reason. I mean, it's a, it's a serious issue for them, but in general, it's more of a worry than it is an opinion uh, that amounts to much. Interest groups, interestingly enough, interest groups have not been important in pension policy in the United States. Kato Junko, well-known political scientist at Todai, wrote her master's thesis comparing medical care reform and pension reform, her master's thesis at Todai, and a wonderful thesis. It was later published as a book. And, uh, and she pointed out medical field is full of interest groups, and in pension politics it really isn't. It's a different kind of politics than interest group politics. It is in other countries. In other countries you have the labor unions lined up against big business. But that has, generally speaking, not been true in Japan. Uh, it's generally been true in Japan that politicians uh, used to favor expansion. They always wanted more money out, less money contributed, and would oppose any restraints, and uh, the bureaucrats fought with them about that. Uh, that's no longer true. Again, today the two parties have different positions, but it isn't clear why. Okay. And generally speaking, bureaucrats have taken the lead on, on content. Uh, for years. The, the, the initiative has come out of the Pension, pension Bureau of the, of the ministry and other people uh, react to that. That's all I'm going to say about pensions. Healthcare. And I'm talking here about healthcare for old people. I'm not talking about healthcare in general. Um, and healthcare for old people 
uh, is marked by uh, an expansion uh, period, uh, which in this case is quite clear cut. In 1973, the Japanese started a program called Free Medical Care for Older People. It meant they didn't have any, took away their copays, uh, so they, they could just go up and get free medical, and particularly hospital care. It's very, very political, very bitterly opposed by the Ministry of Health and Welfare, although they couldn't get their act together well enough to oppose it successfully. But it was pushed through by the LDP, and the LDP pushed it through because such programs had been passed at a local level mostly by, by socialists. Again, it was an electoral threat. Another, it was another program that was badly designed. It was way too generous. It, it was opposed, as I say, by the ministry. It led in the 1970s to older people flooding into hospitals uh, to stay, and, uh, and it brought big uh, increases uh, in spending. This was followed by attempts at rationalization in the late 1970s, the Ministry of Health and Welfare, pushed by, again, the Ministry of Finance, typically enough, tried to constrain this program, but they were opposed by uh, the uh, politicians, particularly by the LDP. You may recall political scientists in the room, there are a couple, will remember this was the era of Hakchu in which there was kind of a rough balance between the opposition <laughs> and the majority party in the, in the diet, and uh, possibly for that reason uh, people were Conservative politicians were very wary about getting anybody uh, mad at them. It was kind of a cautious uh, period for them. But uh, shortly thereafter, particularly after the LDP got a majority in 1980, a big majority, they uh, did manage to get a bill called the Health Care for the Aged Law. Actually, I said here Roken, which is what you call it for short, but the Rojin Hoken Hall, which sort of held back the old people program a little bit. It introduced, it mainly changed the financing uh, in a ways I won't describe, but it, it moved toward cross-subsidization by younger people's, the regular employees' health insurance programs uh, into old age health insurance because obviously their costs were much higher than younger people and they didn't have any incomes to speak of. Uh, it introduced tiny uh, co-payments for older people. And then uh, over 20 years uh, since then, we've seen a whole series of kind of small reforms, step-by-step, step, quite an incremental process very much interest group politics, the Ministry of Health and Welfare uh, basically negotiating them out with the Japan Medical Association, which generally speaking was backed up by uh, the LDP. But step by step by step, the copays got bigger, et cetera. One example is that when the uh, free medical care for older people and its modifications uh, covered people from age 70, basically, and in this decade, they stepped that age up year by year to get it up, so now that it starts in 1975. Once, excuse me, age 75. Once it got to age 75, they then uh, changed the system. Recent politics of healthcare have been uh, quite turbulent, as you know, if you've been reading the papers, uh, including yesterday or for the last uh, month or so. Uh, what happened was this uh, fiscal austerity, as I said before, led to big pressure on spending on Social Security in general. Uh, and within Social Security, uh, medical care is obviously an enormous item, and it's one that you can actually do something about, unlike pensions, which you do something about over decades. You can't do much about any current budget problems with pensions. And within uh, medical care, uh, older people were particularly a focus because they were consuming an awful lot of uh, the money. And so uh, in 2006, uh, Koizumi himself and his minions and the, uh, the, uh, the Shimon Kaigi uh, came up with, um, with a radical reform. Actually, don't hold me to exactly that. I didn't go back and look at what happened in 2006. Uh, a former welfare ministry, Niwa, was, was involved in this as well. But in any case, it was a top-down thing. It didn't come out of the bowels of the uh, health and welfare or the health and labor ministry. Uh, the program was passed in 2006, and it was implemented just last month, April 1st, 2008. And all hell broke loose. What they did was invent a whole new system, and I'm going to have to take a couple of minutes uh, to talk about this. Uh, it is very hard to get any information on this. It's impossible in English. There's nothing. But in Japanese, it's by no means uh, easy, thanks to my colleague, uh, Professor Ikigami, who's sitting here, one of the contributors to this uh, big book, by the way. Um, I've succeeded in trying to make some sense of it. 
um, I was away in the States when it was happening. I was trying to figure it out on the net and it was by no means uh, easy. The official term for this new program is the Koki Koresha Idioseido. You translate that directly, it comes out as old, old people medical system. Old, old, well, old, old is a phrase American gerontologists use all the time. You say the old, old and the young, old. Now they say the old, old, the middle, old, the young, young, old is 65 to 75, middle, old, 75 to 85, old, old, 85 to 95. It's a common jargony word among the scholars uh, in this field, but uh, I think they just directly translated it into koki. Koki isn't a word anybody ever is. I mean, people use it, but it's not a, at all in, in common uh, parlance, although it's descriptive enough. The Ministry of Welfare suddenly realized that the, the or somebody realized that koki actually, the trouble is it means latter period, but it also means final or the end, <laughs> which has sort of an unfortunate nuance. So they decided, well, we should call it the choju idiose, though, the longevity. Uh, they use choju shakai, they've used that euphemism for aging for some time. Nobody uses it but them, but they've been giving it a try. And the newspapers, will, the official name is still the top one. Newspapers will sometimes put this in, in parentheses uh, underneath. The slang term that everybody came up with is hayoshine uh, hoken, or hurry up and die insurance. When I was looking at this from the States, I found I could get more hits from Google on this one than I could on the official uh, name of the program. Uh, and uh, so people have been treating this program pretty cynically and with, with good reason. The interesting thing is there's no name for it in English. You look at the English papers or you look at local government websites and you see all kinds of names, all of which are sort of logical, but you know, old age health insurance, elderly health insurance, something like that. They, it's not that they don't make sense, but it's nice to have an official name that we can use. The Kose Show, probably because they, Kodosho, probably because they don't have a, a name in English, have so far refused to put anything up about it on their w English website whatsoever. So you can find local governments, but they're all over the place. So I decided I needed to invent a term. So I think in English it should be called the old, old people system, which translates nicely as oops. <laughs> so that's what I'll call it. Now what were the problems that the government was trying to address with this new system? Why, why did they do this? And my argument is, is that there were two this is an inference. You, you're not going to find this written down any place, God knows. But, but my, pro, my view of it is, is that they were trying to address what they saw as two related problems. I probably should have done this in the other order, but in any case, one of them I'm calling here imbalance. And it re relates to the question that most old age, most of the healthcare costs of older people, actually even people over 65, but particularly of over 75, most of that, around 90%, well, around 40% of it is paid by transfers from the younger people's health insurance systems, right? So when, when, when if you're in a, in a kumiai nanking or you're, you're in a government employee, whatever it is, or, or that of the, if for the 100 yen that you pay in your health insurance premium, probably about 30 yen of that is actually going to support the healthcare costs of older people who you never met, you don't know them. Uh, you know, why should you, if you're an American, you think, why, why should I be paying, paying for these people? So, so that's just a fact. The other 50% are paid for out of taxes, by the way. About 10% are paid for by the old people themselves. Now, whether or not it's fair or unfair, I don't know. I mean, that's, you can decide for yourself. But, but in fact, as a political problem, employees and employers in this age of, you know, companies in this age of super competition and worried about costs and all of that, and local governments who had to make up some of this out of taxes, they were all complaining about these growing burdens, particularly since times were so tough. And the other trend that was happening, and this is true, <coughs> is compared to the days when everybody thought old people were so coiso and anything we can do is okay and old people should be, they're all poor and weak and they all should be getting stuff for free. Gradually, it's been the case that older people's households have, on average, been getting richer. The pension system has gotten a lot better. Lots of these people have been putting their money into bank accounts, you know, for 40 or 50 years. It gets up to be a pretty good total. So you can, there are economic statistics for this, that, that certainly in terms of assets, but particularly in terms of income, 
lots of older people households are better off than younger people households, so why should they be getting stuff for free? In the 1970s, every old person, in, everybody over age 65 in Japan got a free bus pass. A lot of people, you'll see them getting on the bus, and a lot of them still have a free bus pass, and those that don't have a discount pass. But in fact, you have to be of low income to get a free bus pass, which, you know, is appropriate. Why should somebody with more money than I have be riding the bus for free? Especially since they have all the time in the world, you know, so it doesn't matter when they get on the bus. But the, um, sorry, that's an ageist remark. So there was a policy to redress this balance. Either be, partly because people thought it was wrong and partly because politically it was a problem that the level of this cross-subsidization uh, was so high. That's problem one. Problem two is just sheer spending. The one that I, I mentioned before, uh, there was a perception in Japan that medical spending was out of control. If you read editorials in Japanese newspapers, particularly the Yomiuri or, or Nikkei, or many other things, you'll keep, you'll time and time, or anything by Japanese political economists, particularly those from Hitotsubashi, you will endlessly see that medical care spending is totally out of control in Japan. This is not correct. The reality is, is that medical spending in Japan is very low and it has been extremely well controlled. It is amazing, given the aging of society, that the health care costs have been kept keeping to a growth rate of like 1 or 2 percent a year. American society isn't aging at all, and our health care costs go up anywhere from 9 to 15 percent a year. I mean, it's a whole different universe here. But conservatives, for very good reasons, don't want to recognize that point. And when fiscal stringency comes along, old people, health care spending in particular, health care spending becomes a, a target and old age spending uh, within it. Now, it's perfectly true, realistically speaking. However successful they may have been in controlling medical care spending, and I think they've been uh, uh, very successful. I should stick this book up, too. I saw this for the first time today. This is a book that Naoki Ikigami and I wrote. It came out in English. You've probably never seen it because it only, thanks to Cambridge University Press's massive public relations machine, it only sold about 300 copies in English. <laughs> However, they just brought it out as a paperback on demand. So you can now get, instead of getting it for $80, you can now get it for $50 if you want it. Uh, the book in Japanese came out. It's called Nihon no Irio. It sold over 100,000 copies. So, so the book, some people think it's a pretty good book. But we tried to explain how cost control in the Japanese uh, healthcare a system works. But having, however nice things we say about how well it works, you cannot deny it's a problem. Take a minute to look at this slide. You're about the first people ever to see this slide. And it's an eye-opener. In terms of population, around now, Japanese population is about 20 percent over the age of 65. But they are consuming about 30 percent of all the healthcare expenditures, and of that, people over the age of 75 are consuming about half of that, right? Or about 20% of all healthcare spending in Japan. That's a lot. This isn't 2050 down below. It's, it, I'm sorry, over to the right. Over to the right. It's 2025. That's not very far from now. This is, this is, uh, you know, 2008 already. The population is going to be 30% old, 70% young, right? The young, relatively young, but look at the medical care spending. This is, by projecting current spending trends, unless somebody does something, maybe they will, the, uh, by that time, all of the people under the age of 65 will only be consuming 35 percent of health care spending. Half of all the health care spending in Japan will be going to people over the age of 75. Well, you look at that and you, you have to think it's a, it's a serious problem. I mean, this is, this is I mean, I'm, I'm sounding a little derisive here, but to say that this isn't something that the government should be addressing uh, uh, would be silly, it seems to me. So what did they come up with? Well, I'll divide it in half. Uh, if you look at a, at a program, you can look at its revenue side, you can look at its expenditure side. Let's look at them separately. On the revenue side, they enrolled everybody over the age of 75. On their 75th birthday, they're supposed to join OOPS. And uh, they start paying uh, premiums uh, into it. This is supposed to include dependents of workers who are dependents on their children for tax purposes. They have to have a pretty low pension or else they're not dependents anymore. 
that there are a couple million people that whose incomes are low enough that they're dependents on their children. They had not been paying any health care premiums. They'd been riding on their children's, but now they're supposed to pay it, although not quite yet, as I'll tell you in a minute. They had been free riders, and they were taking that away. Now, this year, despite what you may read in the papers, this year, by and large, the premiums that these over 65 people are paying, excuse me, over 75 people are paying into the system are, on average, probably about the same as what they were paying before. Except for these dependents, all of the, virtually all of these people are enrolled in, in national health insurance, the locally managed health insurance. In our book, we call it citizen's health insurance. But, um, and they pay premiums to that. <coughs> and in principle, at least, the amount that they, that when they stop paying the Cocoho premium and start paying the new sister oops premium, it should be around the same level. In principle, it should be. However, over time, that, print, that premium is going to go up. And an article in Asahi last week said that after persistent reporting, the Kosei Show has not, Kodosho hasn't wanted to talk about this, but after some questioning by reporters, they said they do have estimates. And probably older people's premiums are probably going to go up about 40% over the next seven years. Right? That's a lot. The, I should have put a graph up for this, but I said before that older people paid about 10% of what they were consuming in health care. 40% was shared by younger people's health insurance, and 50% was paid by taxes. In the new program as well, the older people themselves, will, with these premiums I'm talking about, will only be, are supposed to be paying 10% of the total. And the other shares are the same as they were before. In other words, it didn't change much this year. But the share of the older people is supposed to go up as the demography changes, as the ratio of older people to, active, to the active population changes, right? The, um, so it's going to go up over time. So as I say, the share, so the, then correspondingly, the younger people who are now paying about 40% of it, their share is going to go down by the same amount. In other words, the older people's share will go up to like 13%, and their share will go up to, if I can calculate this correctly, about 37%. And on the other hand, their individual ones aren't going to go down because they're going to be more old people, and they're going to be less active people. That population is shrinking. So spending is still going to go up, but it is going to cut their share uh, a fair amount. I'm sorry, that's the same point I just made. As throughout the whole system here, up till now, now uh, forevermore, as far as we can tell from the legislation, taxes will continue to spend to cover 50% of this. Now, here's an interesting point. I only stuck this in the talk at the last minute, but it's so interesting that, as I said before, something like out of a normal worker and an ordinary Kumiai health insurance, probably about 30 of every 100 yen that he's paying in is actually going to the older people, but he doesn't know that. It's actually a pretty well-known fact. It's not a secret, but, but it's not obvious. But with this new system, they're supposed to start putting this on everybody's payslip. So they'll look at their payslip and say, yikes, I'm paying 12,000 yen here in health insurance, and 4,000 yen of it is going to old people I don't even know. This is interesting. I mean, it's a pure neoliberal reform. This is accountability, right? That, uh, American neoliberal economists and Japanese neoliberal economists, everybody, there is no free lunch. Everybody should know what they're paying for. Political scientists are horrified when we see this. You know, to run a program successfully, there has to be, it has to be a little misty. You know, you don't, you don't need people to be able to calculate exactly what they're paying or, for that matter, what they're getting. American Social Security is a beautiful example of that. Rich people pay in a little bit more, they get back a little bit more. The, Input is regressive, the output is progressive. Figuring out how you stand in it individually isn't too easy to do, and that works fine. It's worked fine for, for years and years. So I don't know. I mean, you know, this, I think the, neo, the guys put it in. Again, this is pure, exactly what you'd expect from the Shimon Kaigi uh, to do, and I, I think they want it because I think they want people to start putting pressure on to cut this down even more and leave those old people sitting there, you know, either paying for it for themselves if they can or, or, or not. They don't much care. So. 
it's going to be interesting to see uh, how this goes. Okay, so that's that's the revenue side of the new program. Here's the expenditure side of the uh, new program. And this is interesting. Japanese healthcare works on a fee schedule. All the procedures, drugs, devices, tests, whatever, is all on a fee schedule that's set nationally. It's changed every, that's what this book is about, is mostly about how the fee schedule works. Changes nationally, it's the same in a hospital, it's the same for an individual doctor, same for all patients in any health insurance, until now. This new system sets up a new fee schedule for old people that is separate from the regular system. The long-term goal for this seems to be to try to constrain spending on too much, from the Ministry of Welfare's point of view, too much high-tech spending at the end of life. We all hear about people hooked up to machines and all that stuff. Big problem in the U.S. and Japan, every place else. Um, instead, this new, it's supposed to emphasize sort of prevention, sort of coordinated care. They have a plan for zaitaku-i, which is sort of home care doctors. I won't go into it, but the idea is to sort of take care of people's chronic illnesses better and to uh, move away from uh, high-tech uh, interventions. And they hope, at least, to give them the benefit of the doubt, to get more appropriate treatment for older people and at lower cost, I think, is the objective of doing this. Now, the tactics in this whole program, in a way, were sort of clever. Because when the program started, right now, it actually changed very little. The new, uh, the, the new fee schedule is 99.9% .9 identical to the old fee schedule. Only on a couple of trivial things is it any different. And the new premium structure is supposed to be the same for young people and for old people. So they didn't really change anything now. Uh, the point is, is that after it was enacted, um, well, and then they were also clever because the LDP realized, gee, if we start newly charging these dependents of old people a premium, all hell's going to break loose, so we'll postpone it for six months, and even then we won't charge the whole premium. So they were already kind of worried about the political reaction, although not uh, political enough. So you could say that those were sort of clever uh, tactics uh, in a way to let the, the furor die down and then the actual changes, practical changes, will occur in the future. However, most of what they did was dumb to the extreme. The most obvious problem, just like the pension records, People had to have their new insurance system card in order to get it, and as you all know if you read the papers, lots and lots of people, I forget, anywhere from 10% to a third, didn't get them in time. So the ministry had to say, well, it's okay, you can use your old card and all. I mean, that's, I mean, just incompetence, just sheer, and nothing else can be said. Actually, that was serious in a way, but more serious was, was that the preparation for this, and particularly the explanation, as we say in Japanese, communication about this, was just awful. Nobody knew what the hell was going on. People still don't know what's going on. It's very difficult to find out how this program is supposed to work. And again, even if you look carefully in Japanese, and nobody knows what the real change in individual people's premiums was because it turns out the Japanese government has never known what premiums they were charged by their local governments. Kokoho, most of you are probably in Kokoho if you're long-term residents, and, and, and you may know that your coup or your city charges has one formula, and, and your neighbor across the border has some other formula you may be paying. So without grasping, you can't tell how it's going to change unless you know what it is now. So people were, all these people were coming out of the woodwork saying, my premium's going up like this, and they were saying, well, in principle, it's not. Well, people don't find that you know, particularly helpful. So, so all of that sort of thing was really a disaster. And what in a way was the worst problem was the treatment of low-income people. Low-income people get charged lower premiums. They did under Kokuho and they do now under the new system. There's a complicated little uh, formula for doing that. But it turns out that lots of localities had been subsidizing their low-income people, so they were paying little or no premiums. But those subsidies don't come into the new new system, so their stuff uh, was going up. Another point that's raised no end of hell is that there, um, is that now this new premium is supposed to be deducted from your pension unless your pension is really small. And it turned out people really hate that. And for people whose pensions are pretty small, even if they're not completely small, it's kind of a burden to have that money taken out in advance. It's taken out in a whole two-month increment. 
and at least your pension seems to be a lot smaller than it was, you know? And, and people reacted against that uh, very strongly. All of that turmoil yesterday, big meeting yesterday at the Welfare Ministry of all these things, and all the LDP and the opposition parties, they're all meeting like crazy about this program. And the government and the LDP has just promised to do something about this low income problem to reduce or take away people's um, uh, premiums to get rid of this problem because they're very vulnerable on this issue. But when you think about it, for one thing, obviously it's a fiscal problem. Uh, somebody's got to pay for those things, so it, it blows the whole fiscal arguments because it'll make it worse than it was before. But the other thing is administratively, how do you do it? How do you handle it? It's almost impossible. Well, I, I can't, I, I, I could go on and on about this, uh, and I won't. I'll talk about it in the Q&A if you like. But uh, let, me, let me ask, how, how bad is this plan really? Well, in a way, this year it actually isn't that big a deal. These points I've made aside, fundamentally it isn't really changing things that much uh, this year. So some of this turmoil and opposition is, is overblown. Lots of it that you see in the papers is, is overblown. Um, and in a way, I have a lot of sympathy for the notion of trying to increase the share that's paid by older people themselves, so long as you do it with people who have enough income to do it. Income distribution is very uh, skewed among older people, so there are a lot of people with a lot of money, but a lot of people that have no money at all, and you really have to take that into account better than they have. But in principle, this doesn't seem to me to be such a bad idea. However, one of the words you hear the most about this is sabetsu. And sabetsu is a very powerful word in Japan. I mean, discrimination, it's a powerful word in English, too, but Japanese take it very seriously. And older people are saying, why do we need a whole different system? Why do we need a whole, why should we have a fee schedule? In other words, a medical delivery system that's different than younger people, you know? And in fact, if it, if it seems to me the only reason for doing this in the first place is so that you somehow or other can ration Healthcare for older people. Healthcare in Japan is not rationed. American conservatives, to the contrary, notwithstanding, anybody can get any healthcare they want as long as the doctor says it's okay. But um, this would seem to be a move toward trying to ration, uh, particularly high-tech healthcare for older people, and um, for people to call that "hurry up and die." That's not so dumb. I mean, what else is it supposed to mean if you're going to say, you know? This is an extraordinarily difficult issue. This end-of-life stuff is really extremely difficult in the U.S. too, and nobody knows what to do about it. But boy, a government is in. To, if you start having government policies aimed at getting them to unplug machines or not give people too much care, it's politically very difficult and ethically, you know, you have to wonder about it. So I, I'm sure they're pretty sorry they got involved in this. So as I say, end-of-life is a tricky issue. I'm sorry they got involved in this. They're sorry. I bet they got involved in this in the first place. Naoki and I were just we taught, taught a class about this today, and we were just saying to each other, uh, the Minchito has said this whole program should be abolished, and they're going to introduce a bill into the upper house to do it. And the LDP is saying, no, we're just going to modify it, you know, we're going to change it, we're going to do this. And they said on, on NHK Toron program last Sunday morning, when the Minchito said this, they said, well, what are you going to put in its place? You know, how are you going to solve the problem? Well, my view is there isn't actually any immediate, this thing isn't solving any problems in the first year anyway, because they're not changing anything. It's not like there's some fiscal crisis. They have to do something in the long run. But this program, this way of doing it may well be, it may be fundamentally flawed. But at least now it's got so much baggage on all the crap that's come out because of the crappy way they did it. I think the LDP and the, and the, uh, the welfare ministry would be very well advised to scrap this program. Mushiwaki gozaimasen, apologize to everybody and say, we'll try again. We focus in on this problem. It's a serious problem. Somebody has to do something. We screwed this up and we're sorry. Because if they can get out from under it, they'll save themselves so much trouble. It wouldn't be that easy. To, I mean, there would be problems to ending it too, but they could do it. And, and, but they're, Naoki is sure, and he knows these people better than I do, that the ministry is never going to go along with this. They would never admit a mistake to this extent. Masazoi is a political scientist, as you probably know, some of you probably know him, and uh, you'd think as a political scientist he'd have enough sense to figure out what the politics of this is, but, but the uh, bureaucrats may not let him get away with it. Okay, what can we say, I'm running way behind, I'm sorry. Um, what can we say about healthcare patterns of decision making in healthcare policy? Healthcare policy in Japan and every place else is the politics of big interest groups negotiating with each other. Anybody that's following American politics doesn't have to be uh, reminded of that. 
Uh, it used to be that policy was basically shaped by the Ministry of Health and Welfare and then was negotiated mainly with the Ishikai and also with the LDP. OOPS, as I said, was a top-down policy, came out of the central administration. And you could say that their political idea to do something good, Koizumi was trying to do post office reform again. Is my, this is my interpretation of it. Big radical moves, chop off, build a new system and all. Well, I'm of the school that thinks that postal reform has been kind of a disaster, but whether or not you think it works for postal reform, clearly it didn't work for health care. And the whole thing was really badly uh, screwed up. And you could make an argument. If you wanted to be nice to the bureaucrats, I don't know if there's any reason to be, but if you want to be nice to them, you could say, well, if you do policies that aren't their invention uh, and you push these policies on them and tell them to make it work, it's not likely to work very well. And maybe that's, that's what happened here. Very briefly about long-term care. It needs a lot of explanation I'm not going to really get into, but I will mention in the expansion period, uh, the gold plan was passed in 1989. I always call this more important than long-term care insurance because it established a government responsibility for socialization of care by uh, expanding kind of Swedish-style uh, welfare for people. It's clearly political came. It was an election promise in the 1980, the January, February 1980 election and was motivated by attacks from the Socialist Party again, the same pattern again. And the gold plan in a lot of ways really succeeded. The uh, use of services by older people just went up uh, incrementally. That meant that it started to spend a lot of money. This money can only come out of tax revenues under that system and people started to think, uh-oh, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to raise taxes. <gasps> we can't raise taxes. So, And also there were any number of administrative problems. There was no way to determine eligibility. Service delivery was chaotic. Deba deba. So they came up with a new plan. The plan came completely out of the Ministry of Health and Welfare, although other people have somewhat different arguments. Kaigo Hokan, or long-term care insurance, passed in 1997, started in the year 2000. This is my opinion as an analyst, not my preference, but my analysis of it says that Kaigo Hokan fixed the financial and the administrative problems of the gold plan really well. Uh, the program has been uh, very effective. It was worked out within the Ministry of Health and Welfare. After they had their plan, they negotiated it with the doctors, with local governments, with various other people. But this really was a bureaucratic uh, product. Spending did go up more than planned, as you'll see in the newspapers all this time, largely because lighter care people, people whose needs were not so heavy, in fact, people who in Germany who have a long-term care insurance program or most other countries wouldn't be getting any services whatsoever. They got them in Japan, they liked them, they signed up for them, and, and spending went up. So there was, to turn to the current scene, there was a big reform in 2006 uh, that, that did cut back the program substantially, but it cut back by reducing the services for these lighter care people substantially under the fig leaf of we're going to move them into preventive services to, so that they won't get... Uh, feeble as they get older. I, you can take that seriously or not, but the main point was they're going to cut down the spending of those people, but they very much kept the whole core of the program for everybody. Anybody that would have been covered in Germany, nothing happened to them, uh, and uh, they, they uh, continue. This was successful. Spending leveled off. Um, it's interesting that this was a fairly substantial cut albeit, a, I think, a reasonable one to my mind, but it was fairly substantial, and yet it really was passed with very, very little problem. It was opposed by the Michito and the Diet, but they didn't make a big deal about it. There were demonstrations by provider groups, particularly, but they came at the end of the upper house project. They came at the end. They, I mean, at the time when they were mostly talking to each other, and uh, it really didn't amount to much. Now, more recently, you may have read about, uh, it's been in the papers just in the last two weeks, that um, people are starting to notice that there are real labor force problems. For the first time in Kaigohoken, you can't keep the staff because you can't pay them enough. You can't pay them enough, on the one hand, because they probably cut their budgets back a little bit too much the last time they changed the fee schedule, so they're on very lean budgets, on the one hand. And on the other hand, the economy, believe it or not, has gotten better. Employment at the moment. This, this, this problem may be solved for them, because Japan may well be in a recession by six months from now. But for the moment, salary levels and worker demand is up, and so they can't keep their people. They're worried because their turnover rate in a year goes up to about 20%. In this field in the United States, the turnover rate in a year is 140%. So 
you know, by comparison, they're still not in that bad shape, but people are worried about it. And, uh, and um, the, uh, I think I said this here, all the political parties said the other day they're going to support an increase in the fees paid to providers so that they can pay people more, both in fiscal terms and technically that's a little tricky, but presumably they can do, they can do it next year. Of course, that means more spending. And as we look ahead at the announcement uh, that came out of the Finance Ministry's Fiscal Council, this is a different bunch, they're always the spokesman for conservative uh, points of view in fiscal policy, and they have said that our target to keep Social Security spending down for next year is going to be uh, long-term care insurance, and we're going to change this, and we're going to change that, and we're going to cut it way back. So. So we'll see. Uh, this, this kind of story isn't going to go away. It's going to be around for a while. And uh, when we talk about the, uh, yeah, what's going to happen? When we talk about how does decision making look in the long-term care field, it's not without interest groups, but provider groups are small. They're getting a little more powerful, but they haven't been around very long. By provider groups, I mean home help agencies. Nursing homes have always been around, but they're really a pretty puny and they've never been very active. Frail old people, the people that are subjects of Cuyahoga it's a little different than people that receive pensions, right? It's, it's 10, 12% of the old people population. These people are not going to be politically active, let's face it. Their caregivers might be and they have been a little bit, but it doesn't, as voters, they're not, uh, they're not it's so far at least in my opinion, it hasn't been a political factor either as voters or as interest groups. However, Cuyahokan is very popular with the general public. It has been from when it was first, and first proposed in the mid-80s and it's in the mid-90s, and it still is. But the public support is kind of passive. So the initiative for changes in this program have always been in the hands of the bureaucrats. I mean, this is a relatively new program, but in long-term care, it's always basically been in the, in the hands of the bureaucrats, as in these other fields. They're now under pressure from, the ministry is under pressure from the economizers and will have to see how that works out. And I will say to say, so I've been kind of mean about the, the Kodo show with, with reason, but I think they really deserve a lot of credit for the long-term care program, which was invented de novo in Japan. No other country has anything like it. And I think they thought it through carefully. They thought of most of the problems. And, uh, uh, and I will also give a kind word to uh, Higuchi Keiko, another a feminist who, who backed this program up well. I, some people think they were more important than I think them, but they certainly were helpful in getting it through, and that's kind of a, a first. I mean, f how many victories do feminists get in Japan? So uh, uh, all in all, I have pretty good feelings about uh, uh, Kago Hokan, and I continue to, to study it. Um, okay, this is really short, happily. Old people, Axel Klein sent me a message, asked me a couple of questions, and, and he was interested in what's the role of people in all this policy making, and particularly old people themselves. Old people are not an interest group, however many times you hear it. They aren't really anywhere in the world that amounts to much. There are pensioner groups in Germany and other places. You see them. You, you see them in Japan. I don't know if they're still around, affiliated with the labor unions. But um, AARP in the United States is kind of a AARP used to stand for Association of Re American Association of Retired People. It doesn't anymore. Now it just stands for AARP. It's just a logo. It's no longer has a name. But um, in a way, it's an interest group, but mostly it's an insurance company that, that has a sort of a public policy advocacy on there for window dressing, to exaggerate a, a little bit. But as you look at old people policy around the world, active old people going after things is not a big explanation for what goes on. Now, in other countries, we have had the unions and we have had the left-wing parties, which have basically been stalwart allies of programs for uh, older people used to be sort of true in Japan, but we don't have them anymore in Japan. So it's just not an issue. So what we do have is, pro is politicians and programs for older people in general, pensions, health care, and uh, certainly long-term care. They're popular programs because the public sees a need for them, for their own parents or for society as a whole. These programs in Japan still have a, a pretty good image. But my impression is, is that for the most part, politicians have been doing this for the sake of their image, for looking like good policy people, approaching popular policies. They're not doing it particularly to attract old people's votes. However, recently, 
of recently, very recently, offending older people has gotten to look pretty serious, right? Because when you start talking about raising their premiums, taking their premiums out, having, I mean, out of their pensions, uh, to talk about uh, giving them a separate system for younger people, you know, that kind of thing, it brought a strong public reaction. It didn't happen with the LTCI reform in 2006 for whatever reason. It didn't affect as many people and I don't think it affected them. You know, it's services for mildly frail older people. You know, it's a different question than pensions for a whole, or healthcare for a whole lot of people. So the backlash against OOPS was quick and it was powerful. To what extent was it actually from old people and from what extent was it sort of Yodon? Was it sort of general public opinion? I have no idea. I wasn't here at the time. I had no way to really trace it. I don't know if anybody really knows, but I think it's, it's a question. But boy, that hurry up and die slogan, that really had a lot of bite. I don't know who it was bugging, but it bugged an awful lot of people. And again, um, not without reason. And the opposition jumped on this as well. They should. That's what opposition parties are for. And now again, the LDP has said that they're going to revise it substantially. So that's, that's a real big impact of public opinion. But such cases are... I don't think there's a, I can't think of another case that's anything remotely like it in the old people field, which is all I'm looking at here. So what do we learn from all this? The voice of the people is strongest as a negative rather than being positively for something. That's true about old people in, uh, about, it's true in general, actually, to tell you the truth, but it's particularly true about older people in the U.S. and every place and in Japan. Another point is, is that with old age policy in Japan, we don't really see any policy cleavages. What's a policy cleavage? A policy cleavage is you take the population, you ask them a question, 30% of the people say yes, 30% of the people say no, 30% say I don't know. But people are disagreeing with each other. That's called position politics is a, is a, is a political scientist word for it. And we don't see it very much or hardly at all in old age politics. It's always the people want this. This is what Koka, Nihon no Kokumi want this. It's like the people against the government or the people against the political parties. Well, you make a think about it, that doesn't make any sense. Why should the political parties, you know, I mean, the government, it sort of wants to be responsible and trim money, but I mean, there, there's not a fundamental opposition between the government and the people, or at least I prefer not to think so. And, uh, but in this area in Japan, we don't really see any policy cleavages among public opinion on any of these issues. As I say, there is a big real debate in pensions, but you can't find any poll results that tells you which of the public prefer one or another. If you just ask it with the party labels, they'll, they'll give you the answer that their party supports, but they don't actually understand what the difference is. Right? And on these other issues, all the, for all practical purposes, all the people are on the same, same side. There isn't really any disagreement. But, you know, it's a funny thing that that's true of Japanese politics in general. I've made that and other people have made that observation. There are not many position issues on, in Japan other than the old classic cultural politics issues. What's the position of the emperor? Should we revise the constitution? Should we, is the U.S. security treaty legal or should we have a more of a military or not? Those questions you get. People are for it and people are against it. Anybody in the audience can think of another question like that in all of Japanese politics? urban, rural, agricultural price supports, architectural standards, pardon me? Well, maybe, kind of, Sodon Sansei, Kakodon Hantai, the, uh, yeah, I guess, that, that's fair enough, probably position of women, and, and there are other issues, but I don't know, everybody's kind of, real conservatives are against women, but other people are sort of <laughs> vaguely in favor of women, but not, not just a question, they're called valence issues because people are stronger or weaker. More, they think it's more important or less important, but there's not that much of a difference of opinion. But you're probably about right about women. And there are probably some other sort of morality kind of issues that that might be true of, but, but not very many. In the U.S., we get this big age break on marijuana smoking. Young people think it's fine. Old people think it's bad. Even those things, I don't, they don't come up very sharply in Japan. Well, anyway, that's, believe it or not, that's actually my uh, conclusion. The... Um, one process, uh, over the, while I was in the U.S., I, or mainly after I came back, but I've been trying to, I've been writing this book review, I've been trying to work on this talk, and I've been following what's going on as I've tried to get across to you just in these last few weeks here in the Japanese politics in this area. And the conclusion of all three of those things is, is that 
somebody should write a book about this stuff because it's not really covered very much. It is a little bit in my paper and a couple of the others in this great big uh, book on, on demography, but there's not that much about public policy per se in here, and, and it's not in those five books I reviewed or anything else. Only economist stuff is, but economists get it all wrong, so somebody has to argue with them. So somebody has to write that book, and I don't think there's anybody else that could do it but me. That way there's an immodest statement, but I have been trying to do this for about 40 years, so I think I'm going to sit down and try and write a book about this. So maybe if I get it done, maybe the uh, DIJ will invite me back and I can talk about it with you then. Thank you very much. Thank you.